2: we end today's show by looking at a leaked FBI counterterrorism memo, which claims so-called black identity extremists pose a threat to law enforcement. That's according to Foreign Policy magazine, which obtained the document written by the FBI's domestic terrorism analysis unit. The memo was dated August 3rd, 2017, only days before the deadly white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, where white supremacists, Ku Klux Klan members, neo-Nazis killed an anti-racist protester, Heather Heyer injured dozens more. But the report is not concerned with the violent threat of white supremacists. Instead, the memo reads, The FBI assesses it's very likely black identity extremist perceptions of police brutality against African Americans spurred an increase in premeditated retaliatory lethal violence against law enforcement and will very likely serve as justification for such violence, end quote. Civil liberties groups have slammed the FBI report, warning the black identity extremist designation threatens the rights of protesters— with Black Lives Matter and other groups. Many have also compared the memo to the FBI's covert COINTELPRO program of the 50s through 70s, which targeted the civil rights movement. For more, we're going to San Francisco, California, where we're joined by Malkia Cyril. She's the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Media Justice, as well as a Black Lives Matter Bay Area activist. Malkia, welcome back to Democracy Now! Can you talk about this report um, and what your assessment is of this term they have used, black identity
3: extremist? Well, thanks for having me. Uh, You know, it's a great question. What is a black identity extremist? I think we're all trying to figure that out. Nobody knows, in part because it doesn't exist. Uh, It's a term fabricated by the FBI, constructed and it has a history. I mean, for a very long time, for many decades in this country, probably centuries, the FBI has criminalized Black dissent. We saw it in, in through the COINTELPRO, the counterintelligence program, as you mentioned in the in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. We're seeing it again today. This term, this idea of Black extremism, uh, coming up by the FBI. Being used as a way to criminalize democratically protected speech and activity. It's wrong, it's erroneous, and it should be withdrawn. So, what is your understanding of where it stands now? You know, right now, we don't know. I mean, that's part of the problem. You know, we need some information from the FBI. It's clear that the FBI should provide an unredacted uh, description. What what do they mean by a black identity extremist? Right now, that description is pretty vague. Um, It it, it refers to uh, some anti-white ideologies. It um, compares—you know, it talks about— ideologies of black separatism, um, but it doesn't have anything concrete. I mean, I think that's part of the problem, that this is, an, this is a categorization that has been constructed. The definition has no—makes no sense, and we, we need some more information from the FBI so that we can actually respond effectively to this categorization
4: context of white supremacy gusty renegade in for another broadcast hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy today's date sunday november 5th 2017 so i have been told thanks everyone for tuning into the broadcast uh that audio segment that you just heard uh that was from democracy now my bff amy goodman We will hear from her again before we wrap things up. Certainly, we and many others have been discussing the FBI's report on the black identity extremists and their threat. Uh, For us, the timing to be talking about this one today when it's reported that a shooter opened fire at a church right outside San Antonio, Texas, Leaving approximately two dozen fatalities, other injuries. This is all still rapidly unfolding, uh, but the suspected shooter. The photos and images that they've shown thus far, this looks like another individual who could be classified as white. Not sure. Maybe he also is a black identity extremist. But just keep that in context as we continue the discussion. As soon as me, myself and many others began talking uh, about the FBI report that was released just a few weeks ago, uh, I immediately thought it would be great because we spent we spent a lot of time on this broadcast discussing uh, the Pro campaign against black people. We've had many authors on the program over the years. William Pepper and his work on the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, we had Dr. Kenneth O'Reilly uh, on the program. His book, Racial Matters, the FBI Secret File on Black Americans from 1960 to 1972. And one of the first books that I thought of, the FBI War on Tupac Shakur and Black leaders. Uh, Very important. I think anyone who is going to participate, devote time and energy to working against racism, to know the type of response you are likely to encounter. And particularly given the recent report, thought it would be great to get more information, uh, especially from someone who's done done a lot of research on the Pro campaign. Our guest, in addition to writing the FBI war on Tupac Shakur and Black leaders, he also wrote drugs as a weapon against us in these two books. Link Uh, And I want to make sure we get in a few questions uh, pertaining to that book and his work by trade as an addiction counselor. Uh, Always a pleasure to have him on the program. Really appreciate his scholarship. Joining us live his third time on the cows, Mr. John Patash. Mr. Patash, are you with us, sir?
5: Yeah. Hey, Gus. Thanks for having me on again. You can just call me John. It's easier.
4: Will do. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your time uh, with us this evening. I want to hop right to it and encourage listeners, if you have uh, a question, I see Red formerly in Ohio, now in Nevada. If you have a question you want to ask Mr. John Patash, uh, go ahead and get a hand up early. We'll only have him for about an hour or so. So do not dilly dally or lag. Go ahead and get a hand up if you have a question. I also want to make sure I got in. I read Mr. Patash's I've read both of his books, but I read the FBI Warren Tupac Shakur Uh, It was a while ago and I actually got one of the first edition copies Uh, through the course of life. My copy got switched around so I ended up getting a different later edition copy. And I saw that we got a shout out in the later edition copy of uh, the FBI war on Tupac Shakur. So much obliged. Uh, You're welcome. To start off, and you can, folks can go back in the archives and get more detail. We spent the whole program talking about uh, your first book uh, in the title, mm-hmm. uh, FBI War on Tupac Shakur and Black Leaders. Why did you use the term war to describe the Cointel program and, and this attack that you document that went on for decades?
5: Well, it's, it's just a very literal war. It's it's a covert, covert war, but... Um, they they were killing, you know, our, our great black leaders. They were killing um, leftist leaders in general, but were particularly brutal in the targeting of black leaders. And, um, you know, they were using all kinds of means of sabotage, but um, murder was just one of many means to sabotage any uh, progressive black movements, movements to, you know, help the black community and to help Help all of us really i I argue i mean Martha king uh was advancing the you know the needs of, of poor people in general and not just black people but um he was particularly you know good about his you know you know a- incredible about his civil rights work, as was Malcolm x and um as was a number of the other leaders I talk about which were the you know black panther leaders and and they were all i mean the evidence that evidence that they were all gunned down. You know, uh, a number of these black leaders, like the head of the Los Angeles Black Panthers, um, the, you know, different other black, uh, Fred Hampton, the Chicago Black Panther leader, um, and then into the 90s with the uh, assassination, I argue, of Tupac Shakur, because he had been head of the New African Panthers, um, which was active in 8 to 10 cities when he was 18 years old before he became a rapper. But um, when he became a rapper, he only hid his activism behind this gangsta facade in order to uh, appeal to gangs and politicize them in line with his Black Panther extended family that was doing that across the country. So this is, you know, very literal war. Um, there's, they call it, I think they call it low intensity warfare is some of their terms in their documents. But, um, you know, this is what, this is our battle. And, um it's you know in my second book um as weapons against us i i show how the, you know some of these tactics were done against a number of white leaders also and i i actually you know argue that it was you know any leftist leaders but the war is just particularly brutal because of their particularly intense racism of the oligarchs uh you know against black progressive leaders you know leftist leaders i argue but um it's uh, it's gruesome, it's continuing, and um, M. Wasi's swearing in, you know, an uh, FBI counterintelligence program agent blew the whistle on the program and said that it, it's it been continuing in the 1990s at least uh, under different names than COINTELPRO, than the counterintelligence program. They just changed the names. And this is what, you know, a number of whistleblowers have argued that they did with a number of their programs The CIA was uh, linking uh, Operation Chaos with, you know, the the counterintelligence program and MKUltra, the MKUltra project, which is the kind of focus of my book, Drugs as Weapons Against Us, linked up with um, the Kill Intel Pro to target these leftist leaders. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so this is – it's just a very literal war. And, you know, I'm glad they caught this FBI document, but it just – it just shows uh in black and white what they have continued up until now, which is, you know, this, this counterintelligence program under different names.
4: Context of white supremacy. Uh before I ask more specific questions about the uh black identity extremist report, uh one other aspect of the COINTELPRO Pro program, yes, it did uh evolve uh, plans, plots to assassinate individuals. Uh, you mentioned uh, Fred Hampton, Fred Hampton uh, in Chicago, Mark Clark, uh, Bunchy Carter as well. Many other folks. Dr. Martin Luther King. We had William Pepper on the program. Even Mr. Swearingen has been a guest on the program back in 2009. Uh, but not just assassinations and jailings and what have you. A big part of that program also involved discrediting black people or anybody that was looking to work against what I call the system of racism, white supremacy. And that would include, right. and you, you include a lot of information about this planning, false information in major newspaper reports or magazines, just circulating false information. So that people would think, Oh, these are not folks with a legitimate grievance. People that are trying to do quality work, establish justice, justice work against racism. These folks are, you know, some thugs or some hoodlums or something illegitimate someone or something that we should not support and this week there was a lot of attention on the jfk files that president trump released and oh wow we're going to get some new information and somehow this went from files on the assassination of the president to oh man that no good martin luther king jr was a cheating womanizing he might have been harvey weinstein of the 1960s and i looked at that and i said you know I've heard in a lot of different books, it's in Ralph Abernathy's uh, biography, he was a a comrade of Dr. King, it's a black person, Ralph Abernathy, that Dr. King had an affair, it's in Ava Ava DuVernay's film on Selva, it comes up, his extramarital affairs. If all of this is going back to an FBI file, if nobody has any hard proof, if this is all just what was a part of the Pro campaign against someone who is a high-level target in the war of white supremacy, Dr. King... How much validity do we put on these allegations of him being this adulterer?
5: No doubt, it's there. There's really um, we really should put very little validity on it. You know, it's uh, because Earl Caldwell was a New York Times reporter in 1968 when he was just shocked to hear his editor tell him that he his assignment was to go down to Memphis and to nail King to write a you know write a, a mirror uh, article on him just to basically get anything he can just to make him look bad. And, you know, and uh, that's that's basically the way uh, the press was handling Dr. King was they were working with with the FBI to try to make him look bad in any way they could they could either, you know, document or make up is what they usually did. And I mean, that's what, you know, that's what was going on. And so uh, Hoover was making up all kinds of things about uh, MLK, and this is, uh, you know, this is in their own documents. They were even, you could even find places where they were trying to find ways to, to paint him as something that he wasn't. So, yeah, there's is really, um, you know, this, they do this to a number of black leaders, and, you know, even black uh, cultural leaders, like black musicians, uh, you know, they, they smeared uh, Jimi Hendrix in a huge way when he started to turn into an activist. Um, you know, and when, when he, he died abruptly and I argue he was killed, um, by, you know, his, his manager actually admitted to at least two people, um, his you know, his manager was Mike Jeffries, you know, had said he was former MI6 and I showed the evidence that he continued to be MI6, which is British CIA. And he, um. You know, he basically admitted to having uh, Jimi Hendrix killed, and uh, so with Jimi Hendrix, they tried to make him out to be this sex crazed guy, this drug crazed guy, who was uh, using heroin and and you know using acid like crazy, when that's just very far from the truth, according to his top biographers. And so, you know, they had a long FBI file on Jimi Hendrix uh, because he was so influential. But they do it. They've done it to all black leaders. They were, I'm sure, you know, they were trying to smear Malcolm X also, um, you know, in different ways before they assassinated him. And uh, so there's just, this is their modus operandi. And so it is surprising that, that, um, you know, some substantial, any substantial writers or activists um, would take these FBI files seriously when they say, you know, Martha King was involved in. An orgy or something like that. You know, it's, it's most likely uh, not true. It's most likely made up by Hoover and his men.
4: You in the FBI war on Tupac Shakur and black leaders. You uh, have a whole chapter where you talk about. <clears throat> Uh, Killings happening at a specific time. Uh, Dr. King being killed a year to the day of him making a public speech against the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Uh, You argue uh, similar circumstances with uh, the killing of Huey P. Newton, co-founder of the Black Panther Party, when Myself and I might be a little bit ahead, but with this information coming about about Dr. King, we are about four or five months away from the 50 year anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King and having just went through the 50 year anniversary of the assassination of Malcolm X. And I saw that that did get a lot of attention. and There were a lot of seminars and talking about him. Mm-hmm. These people have already been talked about a lot over the last five years with Black Lives Matter and connecting it to their their struggle, as they say. Uh, Am I reaching to say that you might be seeing more of this, oh, Dr. King, he had all those affairs and orgies as we get closer to the 50-year anniversary to make sure it's not just, wow, they killed him 50 years ago, and how much have things changed, and continuing his struggle to divert some of that to, oh, man, he was a womanizer. It's not that much difference between him and Harvey Weinstein.
5: Yeah, no, I I think it's a common tactic. Now, I really don't know uh, Dr. King's sex life. And I really don't care to be honest, but I, I do, I would lean towards it being made up by, J, you know, FBI director J. Edgar Hoover. Um, you know, uh, the, the key is that, yeah, one, one big anniversary is when they come in the spotlight again, they try to smear these great leaders again. And that's just, that's what they've done. That's what they continue to do um and so Martin Luther King you brought up the fact that Martin King was killed in the exact year anniversary of uh him you know making that famous speech in um in New York against the Vietnam war and uh you know William Pepper his close friend and and uh political ally um and the you know King family's lawyer later in you know 1990s uh, said in, in his book that um, it, it doesn't appear to be a coincidence that exactly on the exact one year anniversary of King's, uh, you know, speech, he's assassinated, and, you know, I argue that that, in my second book, I argue that's because he was the first, you know, or really the most prominent black leader to come out at that time against the Vietnam War. Of course, Malcolm X came out against the Vietnam War, war very early. And I argue that's part of the reason they assassinated you know Malcolm X too. The oligarchs are drug traffickers um you yeah, know that's one of their biggest trades i mean besides being genocidal racists they're major drug traffickers that's the way they make the way they make a lot of their money it 's also the way they control us you know by spreading drugs through our communities and when the Vietnam War was over, a obscure little area in Southeast Asia, you know what was the, the significance? The significance was it was around the Golden Triangle for producing, you know, poppy fields, which produce opium and heroin, and uh, that's why that was the longest war of its time. And then the next longest war uh, that actually surpassed the Vietnam War in length was the Afghanistan War and what, which is the area of the, what they call the golden crescent for poppy fields. And while the uh, Vietnam area is called the golden triangle for producing poppy fields. And so, um, you know, that's part of the reason, of course, besides just Martha King's great activism, great leadership, great, um, you know, movements for, for the masses, for, for, you know, 99% of us who are trying to makes, you know, who likes society to be better versus the 1%, they say, you know, of course, of the wealthiest. And um, so, yeah, I think they are going to smear him again, though, on the 50th anniversary. I think you're right. That's that's what they tend to do. And uh, the anniversary, whenever anyone else comes back in the limelight, you know, some of our progressive great leaders, they, they smear him in some way or another. And they distort their history. You know, they constantly just focus on uh, Martha King's I Had a Dream versus all his other great causes, too. So.
4: Context of white supremacy, our guest, John Pitage, uh with the Black Identity Extremist Report specifically, uh, and you mm-hmm. touched on this already, someone with the Cointelpro uh, campaign and many of our other guests who've been on the program, uh, Dr. O'Reilly as well, uh, pointed out that They used FBI agents, local enforcement agencies, different groups enforcing the system of white supremacy. They used a lot of these tactics against many individuals, but it seems that the worst, uh, the most vile tactics were reserved for black people. And one thing that I think is really important with the black identity extremist report, I scoff at the term blacks and Latinos or black and brown people. I don't use that. Uh, phrase i even encourage folks to not use the phrase i didn't hear or read brown identity extremists i didn't read or see or hear latino identity extremists or black and brown identity extremists it was black identity extremists and i think that's really important uh, in terms of not lumping in all quote-unquote people of color or just everybody in as though everyone's treated the same when that is clearly not the case. Your response, Mr. Patash?
5: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think I mean it's incredible. I mean, what just the shooting uh, of black people on mass by police uh, for apparently no reason? I mean, you know, a traffic stop and they're shooting uh, someone. Yeah, uh, you know, someone running uh, from a police officer shooting him in the back. I mean, this is just constant. It's done. You know, how many? I think I read in 2015 alone, there was over a hundred unarmed shootings of, uh, black people. Um, I think in, um, if I'm not mistaken, well, I I can't remember if this is actually just, uh, Baltimore or if if it was the country in general, but either way, you know, if it's the country in general, over a hundred, uh, unarmed, uh, blacks shot by police and killed by police, it's just uh you know it's it's genocidal numbers and you know in one year alone this is happening Uh, and you know so yes it's it's first going after uh you know the african-american population or you know uh and you know but it's not going to stop there you know even if it's less severe against other ethnic populations it's going to happen against other ethnic populations too you know it's just the same kind of uh you know the statement that was used I don't know if you remember this some um, pastor Nehemiah I think his name was something like that in uh, Nazi Germany said you know first they came after the communists, but I didn't say anything that wasn't a communist then they came after the Jews but I didn't say anything that wasn't a Jew and then gypsies and gays and wherever else and then, uh, then when they came after me there was no one left to speak up you know or something um, That's that's basically the way it's going to happen. Um, But but first, yes, they are coming. You know, or I shouldn't say first, but primarily they have uh, targeted and uh, you know committed a form, a lower level form of genocide. I say lower level right now that we know of, but of course throughout history it's a much higher level of genocide um, with you know the wiping out of uh, blacks and the you you know Africans in the Congo and uh and the you know in, in the United States alone, you know just so so many lynchings, thousands of lynchings in you know earlier part of the century of the you know twentieth century and um it's just it's just constant you know uh it may be not in the levels it was um before the civil rights movement, but um of course they're targeting the leaders and now they're just targeting people in mass again with these uh you know with, with just police being allowed to kill and without you know, barely not even getting fired, much less put in jail, uh, like they should be. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you about that. It's uh, it, it is really terrible, but it doesn't mean that other ethnic groups shouldn't be uh, you know highly scared and concerned because yes, you know, uh, other ethnic groups can be next, and hmm. probably will be next.
4: With the with the Cointel Pro campaign from the. 1960s, uh, one of the points that Dr. Kenneth O'Reilly emphasizes in racial matters was that obviously Dr. King, uh, Asada Shakur, these types of individuals were what you would call major targets. Angela Davis, people that were very well known, very influential, very well spoken, very informed uh, about the problem that they were trying to address. Obviously, these are big targets, but it ended up just being Any black person, if you happen to be at a meeting or you happen to show an interest, maybe you got a a Muhammad Speaks paper, a Nation of Islam paper, or a Panther Speaks, maybe you got a paper or something, or you were at a meeting, you could end up being, uh, having your name in a folder or something, people saying that you are someone that we should be keeping an eye on. Uh, can you talk about how you think that might work in this current environment? And I mean, now you have social media and so many other things that can be used to monitor uh, and so many things where people can voluntarily kind of report and provide information about what they're doing and who they're hanging out with and photos of where they're at and what have you.
5: Yeah, well, I do think that a lot of us activists, uh, you know, are, are activists who have made any kind of headway. Are you know are probably being watched because they God knows that they they have the means to watch millions these days and i and I you know the evidence has shown that they have been watching millions of us so amongst those millions of us, yeah they might target uh they might focus in a little more carefully on uh you know people interested in activism now to use the term you know black identity extremist is is you know, just ridiculous of course, it's just who who's you know who's got the definition of what extreme is. Extreme is um, just getting involved in peaceful protest. Uh, you know, according to the FBI, that would be extreme. That's their you know, might be their version of extreme, and it likely is. And because that's what that's what their version of extreme was during the you know, Black Panther era, because um, they you know Black Panthers were involved in, in uh, legal protest. Everything they did was legal, of course. Um, you know, Huey Newton would come with law books and read them to the, the police that were beating is, you know, black, fellow black citizens to, you know, read them their rights and say, you know, they they had no right the police had no right to keep beating them, but but at that time in California it was legal to carry guns in in California, and that's they carry guns in those situations but, um, so that's the way they work, you know, they'll use different terms all the time, they'll call you know, Black Panthers terrorists, now they call Black Lives Matter activists you know, Black Identity Extremists it's ridiculous, it's, uh nothing's extreme about it. It's just, you know, um, following through on their supposedly constitutional rights. But when it comes to black activism and protesting these uh, incredible police atrocities, you know, um, no, you're not, you're, you're just called an extremist. You're not supposed to have that right to, to uh, not be spied on as you just organize peaceful protests. So that's the sad state we're living in. We're living in a fascist police state. Um, you know, there's, a, there's really no other way to look at it. And uh, plenty of plenty of uh, establishment people have even admitted that. Plenty of professors have talked about how you know we uh, we currently uh, you know resemble a you know, fascist police state. And I, I don't know when we haven't, to be honest. But but now it's it's just it's getting uglier and uglier. And more and more brutal and more genocidal um in a kind of open way because it's called on video so much um you know with the new technologies and so um you know that and the fact that we do have an oligarchy uh we don't have any you know we don't have any real form of democracy here, we do have an oligarchy, plenty of top professors, political science professors have written articles about yes we we are an oligarchy now we you know we don't have a democracy anymore um And uh, that and that all those oligarchs, by you know, I show the evidence in my books and uh, in film, and uh, there's plenty of other people that have documented the evidence that those oligarchs are incredibly racist and um, incredibly uh, hyper capitalist, you
4: know, too. Would it be accurate when you use the term oligarchy and the term fascist police state, would it be accurate to say that those are synonyms for the system of white supremacy?
5: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, no doubt. I mean, that's that's what they are. I mean, they are white supremacists, these oligarchs. Um, and, and you know, it's just the thing is they, they are prejudiced they are they are prejudiced against all ethnic groups, though they're just particularly racist. Um, but their prejudices, you know, are, are widespread. Um, you know, their their support of the Nazis uh, was well known. Um, there's loads of documentation for how much of the you know of the you know of this one percent oligarchical you know society or whatever um, supported the Nazis. Sons of award-winning journalists have have documented this edwin black just being one of them but he probably did some of the best documentation his most well-known book was ibm and the holocaust but his other book war against the weak um just showed their level of prejudice and so when they when they funded the rise of the nazis and then um and then you know and, and used them as a kill uh basically you know directed them to kill about 27 million uh soviet you know Soviet people in the Soviet Union and, you know, in Oliver Stone's Untold History of the United States, he he describes how the fact that they they barely had, they had maybe one or two battalions on the other side of the Nazis. So they just let them basically attack the Soviets without, you know, with with barely a resistance on the other, on the other front, on the other side, on the, you know, kind of western side of the Nazis. And then when the Soviets started beating them back, that's when, the, you know, the, uh, the allies, you know, the Americans got more involved, um, because they didn't want to see the Soviets overrun, you know, Germany and take over Germany and take over so much of Europe. So, um, it just shows what that was about and that war was really about. Um, but then, so then they saved, uh, you know, New York Times has even admitted at least 10,000 Nazis, some described more than that. Some other journalists described 20,000 or more, maybe even 50,000, some people say, down, uh, you know, Nazis, to be used in our spy programs, our CIA programs here in the United States, but also down to send them down to um, tens of thousands down to Latin America to control Latin America. So that was, it was, it was, it was a huge war on Latin America. And Hold they, on. What, I just they, wanted to hop in. I
4: just... Mr. Sure. Patash, I just wanted to hop in really quick because I know you're yeah, not no going to be with the whole uh, whole program. Sure. I appreciate sure. The, the response to that question. I also wanted to get a response on the air. Uh, you are an addiction specialist, uh, an addiction counselor uh, by well, trade.
5: Well, I'm, ca- I'm a mental health counselor who happened to start with doing addictions, so that's my expertise, but I'm a mental health counselor in general okay. and uh, handle a lot of different you know, um, kinds of mental health problems,
4: yeah. Okay. When you were last on the program, and this was last year, you were talking about your second book, uh, Drugs as a Weapon Against Us. Uh, We had a listener. Drugs as
5: Weapons Against Us, yeah.
4: Thank you. Uh, We had a listener. uh, He wrote in. Uh, and mm-hmm. i guess he had a critique uh, about your views or what was presented on that broadcast i wanted to re- uh read his response and then just that way you could get an on air response to what he had to say so this person uh, calvin jones he wrote and he said i, I listened to a disturbing interview with john patash uh april 2016 uh though he might be well intended mr patash is just wrong about too many things that if followed injure or beguile us uh mr patash alluded that mr phil smith in particular And alternate in general are dupes, if not agents of CIA led or organized drug peddlers trying to injure black people via the wrong kind of drug message. I know Mr. Smith and I have written for. uh, This publication, uh, I like Mr. Smith, advocate legalization, not use of all drugs. We do so as a means first and foremost to end one important tool in the modern enslavement of black people drug prohibition. Thus, I wrote my dissertation on the effects and causes of the drug war and investigated theories of drug addiction, the political economy of prisons, and more. Patash purports to be a drug counselor. He claims that marijuana use is associated with low motivation and dropping out of school. Such studies arguing this have been and are easily debunked. Furthermore, drug counseling is less effective than no treatment. I will be glad to show the studies on that. Thank you for your attention, uh, Mr. Jones. Uh your response, John?
5: Yeah, no, I didn't mean to impugn Alternet at it by by no means. No, I didn't th- I don't think Alternet is is a tool for the CIA at all. I do wonder about Phil Smith because of the fact that when I first was trying to publish an article in nineteen ninety five, in the spring of nineteen ninety five while Tupac Shakur was still alive, um, I was trying to publish an article on the FBI, you know, what would be a FBI Latter-day Counterintelligence Program targeting of Tupac Shakur. And I kept trying to submit it to the uh, Covert Action Quarterly office. And uh, when, when you know, some of the top editors would come by, Phil Smith actually took me physically out of the office, led me out of the office, and would tell, tell me why I, I shouldn't talk to that person who was walking by, it was Lou Wolf who you end up in later years, became a good friend of mine, uh, is one of the founding publishers of Covert Action Quarterly. And um, and so Smith uh, kept my article from them. Lou Wolf told me later that he never got my article from Phil Smith. And uh, it wasn't until he, he physically got my article in his hands, they said, you know, this is great, we've got to publish this about the FBI targeting of Tupac. And so he got it finally in 1998 and, you know, and then published it then. But um so I am concerned about Phil Smith. I'm not concerned about Alternate. I think they publish a lot of good articles. I do think they may be a little um jaded and and off about psychedelics. Um, now in in my book I do argue that weed, uh, marijuana had I, I take the point of view of Michelle Alexander that, you know, marijuana is used to uh, lock up you know, black people en masse and uh people in general um but no i still stand by i i, I look at working as addictions counselor and reading studies i disagree with them about and my personal experience uh make me feel that no marijuana does cause you know lower achievement more apathy more laziness i almost dropped out of high school because of my weed problem um i almost failed out of high school i should say um but I just barely passed, and then went on to do very, you know, very well in college when I weaned down off of my weed problem. But um, counseling people, hundreds, if not thousands, of people over the last 28 years, um, you know, many with addictions. You know, of course, the number of people as, as I say, in the last 10, 15, 20 years, I've been counseling people without addictions also, um, with other mental health problems, but with addictions. Um, yes, I've seen loads of people uh, who, yes, do worse because of smoking weed in high school. It's very common, and I disagree. You know, he can say he's found studies that say it doesn't cause any problems with with young people smoking weed in high school. I'm not talking about occasional smoking weed. I'm talking about regular smoking of weed. You know, um, but when kids regularly smoke weed in high school, it's shown to change brain functioning um, and you know, cause, uh, problems later in life in terms of, you know, just increasing addictions. Um, and, you know, so I, I just disagree with him on that. Um, and Phil Smith, I don't know, Phil could be a fine, great, well-meaning guy. Um, so I really don't know. I just, I know what he did with me in my Tupac article. I also know that he, uh, published, you know, he seems to be focused on a lot of articles that promote drugs in a positive way. And I just don't agree with that. And the MKUltra, the CIA's M K culture program, whether they have anything to do with Phil Smith or not, I don't know for sure. Uh, I'm just saying that the MK culture program did do everything they could to promote drugs. And um, people, whether Phil Smith is knowingly or unknowingly is following that same course, I can't be sure of why. Um, I will say though, that the you know, that was the purpose of the CISM culture program and the CISM culture program, um, was, did have many front companies. Now, I don't think Alternet is a, is a front company for CIA. I think Alternet's a very good positive, uh, outlet for news and politics. Phil Smith, on the other hand, I just don't know. I don't know where, what his angle is and what his, uh, you know, where he's coming from. But, um, the the fund companies of the CIA's MKUltra program were the Human Ecology Fund and a number of other fund companies. But today, they seem to be the uh, group called MAPS, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. I show all the links between MAPS and the CIA's uh, MKUltra program from the 60s. Um, There's another uh, company, a group called the Hefter Institute, which also uh, has links to the same people involved in MKUltra so, um, I think it that is still going on today, and um I just disagree on that note on you know on some of those things that uh your writer wrote in about
4: when we spoke with you last year, I asked you about cannabis legalization. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. legal in even more spots than it was when we spoke, more states than when we spoke uh, about Mm -hmm. a year ago. When I asked you last year, you said you didn't really have an opinion uh, in terms of legalization. Uh, It's been a year. Is that something that you've looked at? Do you have an assessment now in terms of whether legalizing cannabis would be a good thing to help uh, beneficial to black people specifically with regards to racist enforcement of drug prohibition?
5: Um, for in terms of racist enforcement of drug prohibition, I think in that way I could see it possibly being a good thing, yeah. Um, in terms of people using it on masks, um, that I'm not so sure. Ron. I can't say I'm, uh, I think that's, uh, that's a very good thing. I think that's probably a little more negative um, because it's just, you know, it's it's like what, you know, if you read Alice Huxley's Brave New World and seen that SOMA, it's just a you know one of the many drugs to lull us along to get rolled over by the uh conservative forces you know as as worse more stoned we're not as competent we're not as sharp to uh carry out you know our activist programs and activist projects and um so I just don't think it's going to help you know the our cause against the the fascist forces if we're getting stoned all the time um i so that's just this one opinion. But I I don't know. Other people may may disagree with that. It's just my opinion on that.
4: Right. Folks have a question they want to get into. Mr. John Pitosh. Uh the number six, four, one, seven, one, five, three, six, four, zero and the code five, six, four, nine, four, three pound press star six if you would like to participate again uh, he will not be with us for the full broadcast so do not lolly go ahead and get a hand up and get your question in uh the caller dialed in last four d- Oh, this is retired firefighter in florida uh, if you had a question and since we have limited time if folks could just get to your question that would be super appreciated retired firefighter if you had a question proceed
0: yes uh the first question is uh because i am forgetful uh, non-white black person. Uh, are you a white male?
5: I am a white male. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, my next question, logically speaking would be, uh, what is your intent with this information that you've been, you you, I'm talking about your, your, your books, all of your writings. What, what is your ultimate, uh, reasoning for, uh, putting out this information?
5: well my my intent with the FBI war on Tupac Shakur and black leaders was to partly use tupac uh to to show what was happening to this incredible you know young man tupac shakur he, he was an absolutely incredible you know genius creative genius and just genius of a guy great activist and all that to show what was happening to him but also to reach uh young you know black young black people in general to show them the the incredible history of the black panthers martha king malcolm x and uh show them what could be done uh but at the same time the tactics that the fascists were using against the community um to to enable to help people stop this from happening again to stop this from happening to any more black leaders um with drugs as weapons against us with the subtitle being the cia's murders targeting of sds panthers Hendrix, Lennon, Cobain, Tupac, and other activists. I was trying to show um, all ethnic communities uh, what's happening, what wh- the way drugs is being used as a weapon in the fascist war against us, and how if we could get out of that 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 drug world, then we could uh, be better do you know do better things with our activism with a clearer mind, and show some of the tactics that were used to through that world and through our musicians to try to make us uh, think or act us or believe certain things that uh, just weren't necessarily true and weren't for our benefit, but were for the oligarch's benefit and, you know, to fight the fascists better by realizing these, you know, these things. So yeah, that, that's my intent. Does that answer your question?
6: Well,
0: uh, from what I'm hearing from that one particular, uh, 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 Task that you uh, have engaged in, yes, just that one. But I was talking about the whole, the all of the books, all of the things that you're doing. What is your ultimate purpose for doing it, and what is the goal?
5: To try to change society for the better, and that's my general goal. But uh, basically, to help you know educate people to stop any more great leaders from being being taken out by the fascists to, to help us all and power us all in ways and to, um, try to, you know, just, uh, make, uh, just stop these fascists and, and make society, you know, less, hopefully less racist, less, you know, more progressive, uh, stop the wars, stop the genocide, stop, you know, and to, um, create a, a better society. That's, that's basically it. Yeah
0: last question have you considered to all of this that you're talking about mm-hmm. that is primarily ultimately the people that's responsible for this problem racism white supremacy is white people mm-hmm. and what are you doing to white people uh, what is your answer to this problem Well, it's a white supremacy to,
5: it's, it's to constantly try to educate white people when uh, you know Get them in touch. Get get other white people in touch with their racism. Help them understand their white privilege. Help them understand uh, the, the racist and you know hierarchical nature of our society and and how it, it keeps perpetuating this you know all these racial stereotypes, all these prejudices, and uh, help them co- you know come to see it. You see things differently. see things as don't you know not to believe uh, the, the oligarchs propaganda, the racist propaganda that, that breeds more racism and breeds more, you know, uh, of this race hatred. Um, and so I, I, you know, do a lot of interviews with a lot of different white, you know, groups, white, white media groups on the same subjects and talk in the same way about it. Um, but so it's just to, to try to change, you know, change these attitudes uh, and,
4: and turn things around. Appreciate Gus, can I ask just one last question? Uh, let me nab it's, some it's of the, very other, short. let me nab some of the other, uh, callers and then okay. I can uh, swing back around. Uh, thank caller, you. red, formerly red in Ohio. If you had a question for Mr. Patash, your line should be open. Proceed.
7: Hello. And thank you for taking my call. And hello, Mr. Patash for coming onto the show. Um, I have one, I have two questions that might actually just be, addressed might ask just the one. Um, with the current, um, I'm, I'm mainly speaking about the current opioid epidemic. Mm-hmm. So can you provide any reasons why this current drug epidemic is being described as a uh, mental health issue when it seems like in the past, especially when it came to like the, um, if I'm not mistaken, like the 80s and 90s, what it was the the crack epidemic, it was not looked upon as it being a mental health issue um that's the first question
5: yeah well there there is so many you know, there's so many uh aspects of the crack cocaine uh problem that they uh, you know i i look all these drugs are i think are again are being used as weapons against us but with with the opioids because it starts affecting you know a lot of white youth i think that's what's fueling them you know being more gentle about it and saying oh it's a mental health issue it's not a crime you know issue and when when with crack there is loads of evidence that you know it was coming in from cia assets in latin america through the cia assets were then getting it into our you know into the us in the 80s and 90s and and you had uh you know, a network that was trying to spread it through, I argue, you know, a lot of black communities. Of course, it hit white communities too, but they, I think they were targeting into black communities in particular. And they were using it to fuel, um, you know, uh, gang wars, and they were promoting the, uh, you know, th- they were pushing the gangs. They were, you know, I think, fueling the gang wars. People like Tupac Shakur were trying to stop the gang wars and, and you know, get peace truces between the gangs. So I think there's a lot of racist elements to the way they approach, you know, uh, the opioid epidemic now versus the crack ep- epidemic, you know, in past decades. The crack still is a problem, of course. But um, so I think that that's part of it for sure. But, you know, addictions in general it is just a big mental health issue. Um, and, uh, of course, they, they want to, you know, you know, I guess, frame in different ways, depending on which population they're focusing on.
7: All right. Thank you. And the second question is, um, would you agree, once again, speaking about the current epidemic, would you agree that the current uh, opioid epidemic is an example of how white supremacy is a much uh, bigger um, issue than classism because, as you also mentioned, um, white people and what I have been researching, it seems like more lower class white people are affected. And there are much more, there are many states who are adopting policies using taxpayer money to combat the issue. Um, Thank you. And I'll meet my line.
5: Yeah, I, I just, I don't know which one's automatically bigger, but, you know, white supremacy is, yeah, it's a huge issue. And if anyone tries to tell you, no, um, it's the class issue is more important than the white supremacy issue, you know, it's just how do they know that and where do they get that from? Why are they you know, putting that above the white supremacy issue? It's just, yeah, I think that's wrong. I think it's, um, I mean, these drugs in, in general, they're being used, they, Grant, they're being used against all of us but there are lots there's lots of evidence I show in my book that uh a, a number of these drugs were being targeted towards particular communities of color, particularly black communities um and and there's just a long history of that and i you know I tried to show that a good bit in my book in my second book um and a little bit in my first book but um yeah that's you know I think that uh um you know if, if someone tries to say that uh, class issues are bigger than than the ra- racism issue that they I just disagree with that in a, in a big way um, How much bigger white supremacy would be than class issues I, I don't know I, I really I don't put a value on either of them as being you know so much bigger than the other but i I definitely wouldn't put one above the I uh, wouldn't put the class issue above white supremacy.
4: Appreciate the question, Red. Uh person who dialed in last four digits, 9451. Uh, 9451. If you had a question. Oh, I think that's Thomas in New York. Sorry about that. Thomas in New York, if you had a question, uh, your line should be open, sir. Even
8: Gus, even Mr.
4: Your volume is you can kind of low. Guys, guys, you can I
8: call
5: got you. John, too. It's easy right, to John, John. Hey.
8: John. Hey, uh, i sorry about that, Gus. Um, is this better? Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay, great. Um, I will have, um, well, this first question I want to ask you is, you um, um, keep talking about fascism. Um, um, what do you think about Antifa? You know, am I wrong when I consider them a, a white supremacist group as well?
5: I'm sorry, say it one more time. I couldn't hear that. I'm sorry.
8: So what are your thoughts on Antifa? And I asked you if I was wrong when I considered them a white supremacist group as well.
5: I I don't know Antifa well enough to comment on them. Sorry to say, I've heard about them and I've read a little bit about them, but I I don't know what exactly they. I mean, I I guess it's supposed to stand for anti-fascist, but I don't know enough about them to to comment on them. sorry about that.
8: No, that's okay. Um, um, my second question for you. Um, is um, future plans of um drugs in America. Um, you, you, you spoke quite eloquently how the, the marijuana was more than likely a, a CIA out. Um, do you think that the heavily use, in, in, uh, in particular in the black community, um, the use of drinking weed, do you think that's also a CIA um, plan?
5: The last thing you said was drinking...
8: Um, drinking, The a lot of the youth are drinking um This um codeine um drink, um.
5: oh okay, yeah, I do think that the that opiate that opiate epidemic there, you know, codeine, you know, in drinks and heroin, it's all opiates, and um, yes, I do think that is uh, a CIA plan, and it's that was, you know, the CIA MKUltra program was using as many drugs as weapons as possible. I mean that the MKUltra program that basically what what it was now it's supposed to have stopped in 1963 or so but really it was just jfk uh trying to close it down and they just changed the name to something called mk search and then when they uh people found out about that and they tried to close it down um they just changed the name again you know as i said same thing they did with the counterintelligence program so um those were all using a number of different drugs as weapons against the communities but opiates is the longest running weapon they've used against communities. You know they call it the opium. You know Karl Marx talked about the opiate of the masses. You know, um, basically uh, it was just sedating the masses, and that's what they did against China when they, when the British, along with some of the American oligarchs who participated, uh, had the opium war against China in the you know, mid 1800s. They were trying to opiate the masses. They were forcing China to accept opium you know, into their country when when China was trying to ban it and outlaw it. And, you know, the British, um, you know, won those wars. And the American oligarchs that were, were you know, uh, trading in the opium with them were some of the wealthiest people in our country right now, the Pierponts, the Russells, the, uh, you know, the R- Pierponts later became part of, you know, John Pierpont uh, Morgan, J.P. Morgan. Largest bank in the world, J.P. Morgan Chase. So they were in the opium, tra- opium trade, you know, for the last, you know, few hundred, two hundred years or so, at least. And um, and so th- then they have those war, the Vietnam War over the, you know, Golden Triangle, as I said, and then now the uh, the war in Afghanistan over the Golden Crescent, of uh, the poppy fields there. So it's just no coincidence that we're fighting whole wars over these huge po- these poppy field regions. And then getting those you know huge amounts of those opiates, the heroin and the codeine and all that, and and you know targeting uh, communities of color with those drugs, and particularly you know black communities with those drugs.
4: Did you have another question, Thomas sure. in New York? Was that it?
8: absolutely got I mean, This is real quick, sir. Um, these two um, very quick, um, just two word answers. Um, what do you think that um, as a white person? Mm-hmm. What do you think white people feel more comfortable being called um white supremacists or um white criminals
5: i I don't know i mean i think um white white supremacist is is like more accurate for whites in general because um i, I you know I'd like to think that myself and some other whites are trying to fight. The white supremacy, you know, the white supremacist hierarchy in our country, but um, certainly a good percentage of the the uh, people at the top of the white supremacist hierarchy are criminals, and um, you know, and the white cops, you know, they get getting away with murder are incredible criminals. I'm not. I'm not jail. talking
8: about people at the top. I'm talking about um, just as an overall, um, uh, what what make what would make you as a white man feel more comfortable. If um, black people are calling you all white people, white supremacists, or if they're calling them white criminals, what would make
5: I guess white, white people, supremacists. I, white supremacists.
8: Would make them feel more comfortable?
5: I guess, uh, yeah. I, you know, if I also speak for me, yeah, white supremacists.
8: Okay, thank you. Appreciate
4: that. Uh, the person that called in last four digits, 8554-8554. If you had commentary, proceed. Uh yes,
6: I do. Hey, thanks for uh, taking my call. My name is uh, Derek. I'm calling from Chicago, Illinois. Um, one quick comment to the last caller, Thomas, about the group Antifa. They're basically another option. Oh, ho, 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 ho. An
4: we don't. We don't. Uh, if a person asks a question to a white person, a non-white person is never supposed to answer that's just counter racist code that i go by so if you have a question oh sorry Bataj, about that. No, no problem. okay no but um I w-
6: if you know about
5: questions. antifa that i would like to hear more about it. i just don't know that much about him right now
6: well, well basically well, i was just going to say quickly that i'll get to your question that, sir
4: if you can get to your question I, sir
5: you, you, you can just
6: give a question then i just didn't know gus's
5: rules i'm sorry gus
4: <laughs> okay now quick quick questions um
6: what do you know about the death of um Easy E? Um, was Jerry Jerry Heller, Jerry Heller connected with the death? And then um uh, number two, yeah uh as far as Suge Knight is concerned, what was his di- ne- direct connection with Tupac's death?
5: Yeah. So uh, it's a it's a good question about Easy E because I just I just don't know. Um when I when I was you know, when I was Writing these books, people would ask me about all you know a lot of other characters, a lot of other people um and and I just you know I had to limit the amount of research I did to get the book books out and to make them in a readable form so it, they they weren't encyclopedias of activist musicians that were targeted, and so I just couldn't cover everybody's death. All I've heard about e z e is you know he died of h i v related issues i mm-hmm. don't know um i don't know how he got the hiv i don't know I've heard, i've read things that you know people think that maybe someone gave him the hiv i really don't know i do know that the, the fbi um were were had them under surveillance nwa had written had tried to ban some of their concerts after they you know came out their their first album that you know with or their you know straight out compton album i mean
6: right. you why know, fuck saying yeah. the
5: police and all that and so I do think that you know they were obviously under surveillance and being targeted. I just don't know about Easy's death. I don't know how it happened. I don't know who was the cause. Now, now, Suge Knight, um, Suge Knight. The evidence supports that he had increasing and increasingly major, you know, more violent criminal actions, and he was getting more and more, uh, you know, legal, per, you know, repercussions for them until there was a point. Where all of a sudden he, he had a major, majorly violent act and he and he didn't get anything for it. And I show that the, he kept committing violent acts and and they kept getting dismissed because it, it was that point that he was mm-hmm. being used as a police undercover agent. They they said if you do this for us, you know we'll we'll I we you know you'll be kind of untouchable. And that's the way they did it with an undercover agent in the in the Chicago Black Panthers that set up uh Fred Hampton's uh, assassination yeah. you know and and it's just the evidence shows that he was low on the t- US intelligence totem pole you know with uh Dave Kenner being much higher up and even Reggie Wright Jr being higher up because his father Reggie Wright senior was head of the uh, Compton Gang Police Division um so but he was still you know he aided the the assassination of Tupac all the evidence shows and that he also aided, you know, Dave Kenner and Reggie Wright's, um, you know, drug trafficking through death row records and gun running. And, and they were trying to end the Bloods versus Crips peace truce that Tupac had helped engender. And Tupac's extended Black Panther family had helped engender across the country where there was tons of Bloods and Crips peace truces. And uh, the death row records was trying to end that. And they did, they did end it in certain places for a while, but then activists got it going again.
6: So, all right. Okay. Thanks for uh, taking my call. I'm gonna go ahead and mute my line. You're I welcome. S- yes, sir.
5: Thanks for the call. So, Gus, right. I'm sorry I have to eat dinner now. It's uh, 9 p.m. on the East Coast here, and uh, but um, is there any last words you wanted or any anything else before uh, we wrap things up?
4: Oh uh, let's see. I guess if if I could get in uh, one final question. Um, you said that okay, sure. with uh, your work kind of trying to make white people more aware of their racism and their quote unquote white privilege. uh, What Uh has led you to conclude that there are a significant number of white people who are unaware of racism and or their quote unquote white privilege?
5: Oh, are you kidding me? I hear it all the time, Gus. I mean, everywhere and anywhere people who think they're, you know, uh, more progressive and, think that they're, you know, I mean, you know, we, we all have to continue to work towards all white people. I think have to, you know, myself included, have to constantly continue to work on our, uh, prejudices and, uh, you know, and it's just going to be, it's a lifetime amount of work, but some people just, I just don't think are as aware of that, that they have to constantly be working when being, you know, being, understanding their white privilege, understanding, uh their amounts of prejudice and and how they need to make progress on them and so it's i I see it all over i mean i hear it all over and that's just the way it is that's all i can say about it it's i mean i could the examples are too many to even name right now
8: hmm
9: Hmm. if anyone is ignorant about racism it's black black
4: people black people that's been my observation for years and years and years now but i could be in error uh, i guess i will get the title right the last time drugs as weapons against us uh, as well as the fbi war on tupac shakur and black leaders we've talked about both books on the programs before you can go back in the archives uh, to hear his previous ge- uh previous visits uh, always a pleasure to speak with john patash thank you so much for hanging out on this sunday Thanks evening i guess
10: you
4: enjoy uh, your meal sir
5: Thank you, guys. Take care.
4: Yes, sir. Evening. Bye-bye now. Context of white supremacy. Man, we should have a tally for the number of uh, white guests specifically that have exited the program for a meal. And time has been irrespective. We've had programs that are significantly earlier in the day, and still they were least, we even – Uh, Betsy Leander Wright admitted white supremacist. Uh, She is the co-author of the book, uh, Color of Wealth. She was a guest on the program in 2009 and she was literally cooking while on the program admitting to be a racist white supremacist and explaining how the economics of that system work out so that you have lots of poor and broke black people all over the world, but cooking a meal while she was on the program at any rate uh, I said at the beginning of the broadcast, if folks have comments that they want to get in on what they heard from Mr. Patash, that's fine as well. I'll also explain, we have if we have newer listeners, part of my counter-racist code, I think the terminology that some people use, compensatory conversation control, anytime you're talking to a white person, even if it's a white person that you think might have constructive information, the prevailing thought should be, I am talking to someone who is probably a race soldier, racist white supremacist, like at minimum, at minimum, that's what you should be thinking. So, you still have to have counter racist rules in place. One of those rules is if it's a conversation, you're talking to a white person, there are other non white people present. If a non white person asks a white person a question, no non white person should ever step forward to answer that question. Ever. If you want to share information with that non-white person, that is great. But if a question has been directed to a white person, they should be the only one answering. And the reason being exact. And you got a great demonstration right there. Mr. Patash was inviting the non-white person to come in and talk about this. Now, we have a limited amount of time to ask Mr. Patash questions. If non-white people are coming in and taking that time to ask their own questions, Less time where he can be questioned about things, less time. And a lot of times what happens in these circumstances, when the non-white person, if they come in to answer that question and said, sometimes everything gets lost the white person never even answers the question it just goes on to something else we might move on you know to anything else uh can happen i've seen that happen a lot uh, i just do that uh and that that is a habit uh many victims uh will be encouraged if we think the white person is gonna lie or we just have information to share it's not saying that non-white people are stupid it's just saying if we are asking a question of someone who is a racist suspect identified as white That should be the only person to answer that question at the time the question is asked. Then you can share. If you have information you want to share, do that later. Now, that's explained. If folks have commentary they want to share on Mr. Patash, that is great. We can get that in. Uh, In fact, we'll go ahead and do that now. I do have uh, I wanted to continue with the clip that Amy Goodman. Uh, Was where she was discussing the black identity extremist segment from just a few days ago. I want to do want to play a little bit more of that, but uh, I'll go ahead and get the commentary in from uh, folks have anything they want to share with regards to Mr. Patosh. Folks can get that in now. In fact, I will lead the way Um, that right there is also another illustration all of the people. And I mean, you can pile up everybody. This is why I said this is one I've come to a conclusion on. You're probably not going to hear Gus have any much more to say about this because I've already discussed this before. I've made a conclusion. I'm not trying to convince anyone. I'm just pointing out obvious logic to me. I did not hear Mr. Vitosh switch to use the term white supremacy. It's not in the title of his book. I heard oligarchs, conservatives, prejudice, white privilege, even all over the place not white supremacy, nothing about his conduct, even upon asking directly, when you say oligarchy, oligarchs, racist fascists, is that equivalent? Is that synonymous with the system of white supremacy? Yeah, well, yeah, they're racist. Even then, he didn't switch to white supremacist. He, in my view, he knows that's the most accurate term. That is what we're having. It's no argument It's no discussion about capitalism is close and all this other stuff what is dominating the war from the title from his book the war is the system of white supremacy and dominating black people in particular everybody that's classified as non-white i have never in my life seen any evidence that oh yeah white people are quote-unquote empowered they feel better Nothing about them is approving, accepting, glad to see non-white people using the term white supremacy consistently. What I've heard is exactly that. They will use a variety of other terms. It's more, and they'll just add. They'll just keep continuing as the conversation goes on. White privilege, conservatives, radicals, left-wing, right-wing, fascists, you name it. They'll just keep adding them on. Bigots, they'll just keep rolling right on, but they will not be saying... White supremacists, white supremacists, system of whites. They will not be doing that, in my opinion, because that's accurate. You have a system put, uh, put together by deception. You do not want to use accurate terms. It doesn't give them power when you use accurate terms. That right there begins to put their, their power, their domination in jeopardy. When you have people, you are dependent upon keeping them ignorant when they start using terms that reveal truth, wow, that could be a problem. Just my opinion, and I would have to put in for the record, in my view, major act of racism. Whites, they are just in the use of terms. <laughs> Switch to fascism. The right wing conserved all of that prejudice. Just that right there is a major act of racism. White supremacy. I don't know if it's capitalism all of that just spreads confusion for non white people. From a person who has a lot of accurate information about Cointel Pro and white people's, as he said, accurate term war on black people. War, accurate term. Not willing to use the accurate term when it comes to what is the overall system that is producing, guiding this war on black people like Tupac Shakur and Dr. King, Assata Shakur, Dr. Afeni Shakur, and the list goes on. Other black identity extremists to be named at a later date. I will hush there. Folks that dialed in with a hand up. Do you have any commentary you want to share on Mr. Patash on a Sunday where a white man went and shot up a church in Texas? Did other folks have comments on Yes, sir.
0: Yes, uh, that is almost exactly on what I was going to uh, question the guest on, uh, because I did hear the word white privilege. Now, mind you, now he's been on this program how many times? This would be That's thrice.
4: This would be thrice.
0: Okay. That means three times he heard the name of the program, Context of White Supremacy. The word is constantly used by victims of racism, white supremacy, and including the guests, has used this word over and over again, but yet he uses the word when he describes white people, in other words, people on his team, as having something called privilege, as opposed to power. And therefore, by a white person, which he admits that he's a white person, I think he also in the past, I could be wrong, admitted that he also is a racist. When they give inaccurate information to non-white people, at that moment, that white person is practicing racism, white supremacy. So we witnessed that uh while he was on the program in itself uh very these are some of the most these are some of the most potently dangerous white people who takes the, takes up the time and energy to to uh confiscate information accurate information, but what they do with it is tweak it here and there to confuse non-white victims. And for the most part, from my studies with the Tim Wise and some of these other white people who call themselves counter-racists, uh, they are very dangerous in what they're doing. Uh, and I, I suspect that he's also a part of that, uh, that branch in the uh, white quote-unquote army. And uh, that's, that's what I was going to ask. I basically going to accuse him. Uh, I can't, I can't prove it because I'm a non-white victim of racist white supremacy, but greatly suspect him for practicing racism.
4: That's it. Uh, Red now in Nevada.
7: Um, I definitely agree with both Gus and uh, Retired Firefighters' uh, comments. And like the last question I asked, just um, thinking that it was very simple, of course, you know, it does seem like how this um, opioid epidemic is being handled with him being a drug counselor. You know, that would, I would assume that would be very obvious to him that this is an example of how racism is a much larger white supremacy, which is the term that I use. And as everybody said, he didn't use that. He kept saying oligarchy, which I know on other programs that I listened to with him on it, that's the main thing. It, it almost makes it seem as if, you know, he's basically operating under the same guidelines as, you know, of course the dreaded Tim Wise, you know, well there's just this few white people and we know at, at least, um, you know, the people on this line know that's not the case more. If it was just a few white people, It wouldn't be a worldwide system, but I kind of was a little bit confused by the answer. He said, well, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, racism or uh, I don't even know what word he used. I wouldn't say that it's a bigger problem than classism, but you can't necessarily put classism over top of it. So then that would mean that white supremacy is a bigger problem. But um, that's, that's all I wanted to comment. Thank you
4: confusion. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up, did you have commentary? I reckon we have time, so if you did not ask a question and you just want to share your thoughts on what you heard, you can do that as well. 641-715-3640 and the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to share a thought or two.
1: uh,
4: We'll go with the black female caller in New York first, and then we'll nab Thomas later.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Gus. Thank you, Thomas. I just want to concur with the firefighter from Florida. I think I I, I even sent you a little email, Gus, while he was on the program. um, Buckets and buckets of words. Those words that he's using are extremely misleading. Um, Oligarchy, uh, conservative forces, and um, prejudices everything but uh, what the actual problem is. And um, I can remember his first time on the show, and I always like to compare, uh, you know, whether or not uh, a person who comes on your show more than once is consistent. So far, Dr. Welzing, Dr. Um, Niana Rasayan, uh, maybe I could name, um, you know, Omar Johnson, They've been consistent with what they was, you know, with with their stance on um and their views and what their goals are. I listened to him tonight and I compared him because I, I can you generally remember, you know, when I hear people, you know, this sense of, of where they are, uh, or, you know, and if they're still the same. He is sounding so much more like uh, you know, one of these white folks who attends some of these rallies and holds up the sign. It, I mean, just, I mean, basically, to to, to agree with what um, the firefighter from Florida said. I don't think he's serious. I think he's making a lot of money. Um, I'm I'm thinking like he's like very Tim Wise ish. He's I I'm, I'm just not feeling um, that he's he's not sounding the same way that he was when he first started out in this game. Not that he was maybe he wasn't serious back then either. But with these terms that he's throwing around, oligarchy and stuff like that, um, yeah, I think that he's intentionally misleading and practicing racism by using those terms. And Thomas from New York's question, what is much more comfortable for them to be called, I think that um, that was very, very revealing. I would rather be called somebody who's supreme than what I actually am, which is a criminal. Um, and another thing, um, I'm not too sure, as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure, actually, that uh, white people, have, they're, they're not capable of not practicing racism. Um, from a physical aspect, from what we know about what Dr. Layla Africa has taught us, um, what Dr. Um, not, um, Rastayan has taught us, you know, about the about our physical makeup, and um, uh, about uh, also from what Dr. Welsing has taught us about the migration, you know, how they migrated from um, one area of the earth into another area of the earth and the, the phenotypes and things of that prevent them from feeling that level of um, humanity and uh, um, uh, physically and uh, spiritually that won't allow them to, to act <laughs> civilly towards other human beings. So I, I just don't believe that they're capable of it. But anyway, I just, I won't ramble on. Thank you for taking my call, us.
4: Yes, ma'am. Thomas in New York.
8: Great examples of um, white obfuscation. Not dealing with the product problem, switching the topic, um, never getting a straight answer. Um, he has become much more refined um, over the years in his um his ability to push his, you know, racist agenda. So um I, I agree with the callers, everyone who's spoken so far. And um I however, I don't think that he was being very accurate with my question about uh what he would rather be called. Um but um as Brother Derek is still there and thus less uh Tom I would love to hear what he was going to say um, before. Um, and I agree with you, we Don't help white people, especially by giving them information. I mean, we see who owns Google; they got all the information in the world. They don't need it from us. Um, but I would love to hear what Derek had to say. Thank you.
4: Are you with us, sir? Did you want to comment, uh, Derek? I didn't. Derek, did you want to? Did you want to comment, sir? Are you here? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Proceed.
6: Yeah, like I said, forgive me because like I said, this is my first time calling into the show, so I didn't know No Um, apologies, no
4: apologies No apologies
6: Right, right Um, To answer Brother Thomas' question um, I was actually with, um, he knows what I'm talking about, Brother Robert X last night here in Chicago, we had a forum and we were talking about the, um, the white supremacist group Antifa so basically Antifa it's one of the many uh, white supremacist groups that George uh, Soros is funding to fight against the um, the Trump paradigm. So that's basically all of what I wanted to say because, you know, we were uh, we were discussing this problem, the particular issue last night. So I don't know if that answers Brother Thomas' question or not.
8: Yes, you did, man. You said my love and regards to Brother at So Tutmose from New York says of his regards. Thank you, Brother Dobby. All right, no problem.
4: Uh, Any of the other folks that are uh, dialed in have uh, commentary? We miss anybody. Anybody else dialed in have commentary? Oh, the caller at 4674-4674. Did you have commentary? Yes. Can I be heard? Yes, sir.
9: Okay. Yes. Uh, Peace to the callers, to the hosts, and to the platform. Um, and I guess what I would choose to speak about, since I didn't really hear the beginning of the show, is, um, the shooting in, uh, Texas where, you know, the white person, uh, suspected racist white supremacist, uh, went and killed, I believe, his own people. But what, what, what I take from it is that black people should be more aware that maybe we could be next. And unfortunately, I mean, well, fortunately, not unfortunately, but fortunately, we are engaged in deep discussions and thoughts about what the system of racism, white supremacy is, how it operates. And I think now that we are in a time that we, this group of black people or whoever, the more clear we're expressing ourselves about that system, you know, we can probably affect our reality. But the guy that killed the people i want i want to know more about you know his ideologies you know was he close to being a racist white supremacist in all reality or what white nationalists or whatever and i noticed that the details was coming out very slow um about what happened but um definitely we see the white people taking a lot of care and time when it's they own people doing stuff so you know, kind of remind us when we take time to do positive things for our people or whatever, we see another group of people, you know, innately, you know, taking two or three days to respond to acts of terrorism that come from their own people because maybe they're afraid of when we can come competently, you know, express ourselves about racism, white supremacy, terrorism, not just talking about something that's less than terrorism, but talking about it as terrorism and dealing with it as terrorism. So just like we see other nations and countries and groups of people doing, I think it's time that Black people can start to talk and act upon in self-defense their terrorism.
4: That's all I wanted to say. The shooting, uh, the suspect named uh, Devin Kelly, that's the individual that they've identified as the suspected killer in this instance, uh, that from the reports, they said police shot and killed him. Uh, I guess he fled the scene of the original shooting at the church in Texas. This is supposed to be near the San Antonio area. Uh, in Texas that happened today at a church. The church looks to be predominantly white. First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs, Texas. I posted the link on uh, our Facebook page today, From the, at least from the photos on their Facebook page from before today. It looks like a small congregation. When I say small, like less than 100 people uh, of mostly whites uh, from the images that I saw. But I'm sure they'll have more details to come in the next few days or what have you. But at least from the initial reports that I saw at the time that we went on air, I did not see anything identifying this as an act of terrorism or a white identity extremist. Uh, In the image that they showed from his Facebook page, he had some sort of firearm. It looked like some sort of assault weapon. Uh, On his Facebook page, he had that actually in a a picture of two very small children. I say small children, like younger than three. uh, It looked like on his Facebook page, the person who's the alleged gunman uh, at this point. But just another Sunday in the system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, Do we have anybody else have a quick comment they need to get in on? uh, Mr. Patash, we miss anybody.
1: I just wanted to say this is the um, black female caller in New York. Um, Thomas, thank you for uh, using the term that I was reaching for. You know, I'm still a victim. I couldn't uh, use the words that I needed to use, and that word was refined to describe Mr. Patash's behavior and his his words um, compared to the first time he was on the show
4: and the second one. I just wanted to say thank you. Right on. Uh Raj should be with us as well. Did you have commentary, sir? Not hearing you if you hit your mute button. Maybe he's not in a spot. Uh,
11: yes,
4: oh, okay. We can hear you. Yes, sir.
11: Yeah, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know if you're talking, thinking I unmuted myself. I apologize. Um greetings to you and to the other callers and listeners. Um Great show. I didn't get to ask a question, but I did hear a later portion of the conversation. Um, I think I came on at about maybe 20 minutes after. Um, and I found it interesting, too, his uh, myriad of words that he was using to describe white supremacy. And you you ran them all down quite eloquently. And I kept thinking, man, because I have both of his texts. I've read um, the first one, Not Drugs as a Weapon Against Us, yet. And I was just like, like you said, for a person who has such um, accurate information about the system of white supremacy, I find it very telling that he's not using the term white supremacy. And that's something that I find um, white, re- highly refined white supremacists do to create confusion. Because if you're not pinpointing what the issue is, it just takes the victim on this odyssey of wordplay. And if the person doesn't have an expanded vocabulary to know what these words mean and how these words apply to the system of white supremacy, they're just going to run along with anything the person says, and they'll never be able to put things together. Um, half the time they might not even know how to spell the words that you're saying. Um, that's, I do that on, when I speak. I sometimes will spell the words so people understand how the word is, is worked out. So if they do want to follow up, they know exactly what the word is. There's no confusion in phonetics or anything. So I found that telling. He also discussed himself, called himself an anti-fascist, he said in his earlier days. And that's why I was quite um, uh, taken aback when when Thomas in New York brilliantly asked him about Antifa and he said he didn't really know much about them because I'm like, you're basically calling yourself an anti-fascist. He used that exact term to describe himself, he said, early in his um, foray into his so-called counter-racist work. And just by saying that, I'm sure if the right people heard him discussing this, and if he said it on other programs, they would possibly associate him with Antifa just because he called himself an anti-fascist. And anytime, like you said, anytime that term fascist comes up, all you're speaking about is a white supremacist. And if they're not going to actually use those terms, again, it's to cause confusion. Um, I do highly agree. I'm so glad that um, when he did, and I find this very... Something that white people do quite often as well is that they will utilize a black person and showcase them in a way that shields them from having to speak to a question that they're asked. So when um, Derek wanted to explain what the term the term, I mean, the, the, this group was to him, I immediately thought, "No helping white people, no helping white people." Please don't do it. But you jumped in so dexterously, and it was great to see how that worked itself out um definitely he was going to use up that time by allowing derek to speak to the speak to what that was since he claims he doesn't know what this is um what this group is about and more about them which is fine but again i agree with you emphatically and i'm glad that that it worked out that way and and you were able to further elucidate or explain why you know this is your approach to this my approach as well and i thought that that was phenomenal and thank you for that i'm glad it's recorded so other people can hear this down the road um and when red i think it was red who brought up the fact that he was comfortable um being called a white supremacist than a white criminal i have a slightly different take on that but i do i kind of agree with her but i have a slightly different take now because he was so refined to use all those words that he used to describe white supremacy and not actually say white supremacy because on a few occasions you Gus chimed in and said, "Would that be synonymous with white supremacy or the system of white supremacy?" And he would answer affirmative every time. So that right there confirms that he was um, it was white obfuscation in motion right then and there. But I think that when he said that he was more comfortable with being called a white supremacist than a criminal, I think it was a Freudian slip. The reason why is because from what I've seen in my study of this system. One of the most uncomfortable things you can do to a white person is call them a racist or a white supremacist. That is something they want to steer away from very, very vehemently, and sometimes they 'll even get violent to distance themselves from being associated with that term so um I think when he said he would prefer to be called a white supremacist than a white criminal, I think the white criminal aspect would would um Lend to a more legal perception of white supremacy as a criminal act, which it is. I don't think he would have been comfortable being called a white supremacist. I just think that he went along with, in his mind, what was the 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 the, the thing that was more acceptable, but it was a forty and slip. I think it would have been in reverse, just based on his behavior, um, obfuscating what what the term white supremacy throughout the entire program. Um, so that's my opinion on that but I do agree with her as well. But I just think that that was the reason that came up that way. He wasn't given any other option, but those two. And I think he just, it was a 40 and slip just based on how refined he was before. I don't think he would be as unrefined in that sense to say, yes, I want to be called Supreme. when he's supposed to be uh, working against the system and writing these books. Like he told the firefighter in Florida that he's doing, to, writing this stuff to um, help black people better understand you know all of this information about the system and help white people understand that they're racist and all of this stuff. I don't think the person who's claiming that and his behavior was was uh, conducive to him being comfortable with that term. I thought it was a Freudian slip. Thank you. I'll mute my line.
4: Indeed, I just wanted to share uh, quickly. This has nothing to do with what we've been talking about. I got my wisdom teeth uh, removed this past summer, and uh, Roz... Uh, got me colloidal silver to help with the healing process. And I have upgraded. I have a water flosser now, which is the greatest thing in the history of life. Uh, I absolutely love it. Uh, It is uh, like the refinement as opposed to using string to floss. They have really pressurized stream of water that you can use to floss your teeth. It is amazing. It works uh, way better than regular floss you would use. Uh, but the added bonus is that you can put drops of colloidal silver or whatever else in the water and then floss. So now I can use my water pick and floss with the colloidal silver to uh, freshen my gums and everything. It's absolutely amazing. Whew. Back to the regular discussion. Um, I thought, or not I thought, It is really, really important. This doesn't have anything to do with the term uh, white supremacy. If you reject that term, you should have terms that you use that accurately reveal truth about the system that we are in, our experience, and terms that revealing truth with the aim of producing justice. If you don't have terms that you use and a framework for how you see this problem, what will happen, you speak to someone like, Mr. Patash or any other <laughs> individual racist man racist woman racist child and they're using police state fascism white privilege conservative right wing they just keep going on and on and on prejudice if you don't have terms you will just end up picking from their grab bag of terms whatever they're throwing out you know whatever it happens to be today fascism Oh, okay going against fascism oh, police state P- police state yep going to get- oligarchy oligarchy What are you even talking about? What are these terms? Do you have definitions uh, that you're using? White people, crazy talk, stupid talk. That's why we're uh, reading that book right now. In my experience, man, racists, that is a huge weapon, especially when it's time to talk about serious matters. Racism, white supremacy being a very serious matter. Warfare. Uh, They will just be extremely and in my view, it's deliberately reckless and inaccurate with terms, vague with terms, terms with no definitions and strategically not using the most accurate terms when they talk about these issues. And I mean, this can come in a myriad of different ways, but specifically, if you don't have your own terms, when you go into these conversations, if you're not paying attention to the words that are being used, You are just going to end up being drowned with their terms and you're going to end up using. That's just the way that language works. If you're not mindful, you're going to end up taking their terms and just saying them. And and you might not even know why you started talking about this problem in that manner. Why am I saying oligarchy? Why am I saying fascism? Why am I using these terms to describe these problems? Anything else folks wanted to make sure they get in? satisfied the oh. can i
9: be heard yes sir i would just like to say that i would wonder if he was in any type of fraternity uh any type of um Elks club or
4: whether he was a freemason i don't know I know that he will be pretty legit, though. Uh, he has uh, the foreword for his first book was written by uh, Pam Africa uh, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. So uh, he will have lots of uh, street cred uh, to authenticate uh, as he goes along. Uh, incidentally, I shout out in the <laughs> foreword, the shout out in the foreword of the book. Uh, it does not say context of white supremacy. It says cows. You were going to speak, Russ? Uh, Yes. Uh, It was
11: great that you discussed the fact that um, Pam Africa wrote the foreword, because to me, that was the equivalent to what he did with with Derek this evening. So her being the gateway to to explaining things that he couldn't explain, she's going to also be an attractant for black people who are studying the system of white supremacy to either buy his book or read his book, and then he's going into what he's discussing no different than when he couldn't answer the question and, and um, Derek chimed in. Um, when he did chime in, he was taking that opportunity to place Derek between himself and us as we were asking the question, and you caught it, and you, I mean, your mental dexterity was so perfect. It was awesome to to just uh, bear witness to it on this call this evening. So thank you. <laughs>
4: If folks are satisfied, I did want to make sure I got in the clip because we were just talking about this yesterday. My BFF, Amy Goodman, another (laughs) quote unquote leftist, well meaning white person, hosts Democracy Now! They, like two weeks, and I had called them out because they had not said anything about the black identity extremists report. They had done nothing on it. These folks will take up all day long if someone spills you know a drop of oil and it falls on a sea lion they will spend the whole program talking about that and oh my goodness and the environmental injustice and and i'm not saying that that's not an issue but i mean my gosh like there are war being waged against black people that you have nothing to say i think in fact they had a 60 second segment where they did acknowledge that this happened and then they moved on. I mean, they will spend big time. I've seen them spend 40 minutes, an entire hour uh, on, you know, things that they deem to be important. Finally, they did spend a significant amount of time on the black identity extremist report. Uh, They invited a black female uh, journalist, activist on the program to discuss the matter. Uh, I played a segment of that at the beginning of the program. As they continued, somehow the conversation switched to Russia, started out with black identity extremists, then it migrates to Russia. This is where they pick up in the dialogue with uh, Malkia Cyril, hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, Uh, but they're picking up in the dialogue where now they've switched to Russia's meddling. We were just talking about this yesterday on the compensatory call in. We'll play the segment really quick. It's only like two minutes uh, and then we'll be right back to share a thought or two. Context of white supremacy, my BFF, Amy Goodman from a few weeks ago on Democracy Now.
2: I wanted to ask you about another issue, about these allegations. A Russian company spent more than $100,000 buying thousands of ads that sought to politicize the U.S. electorate ahead the 2016 presidential election. Some of um, the allegations relate to Russian Facebook ads specifically referencing Black Lives Matter targeting audiences in Baltimore and Ferguson, Missouri. Meanwhile, yes. Google also says, quote, suspected Russian agents, unquote, paid for tens of thousands of dollars worth of political advertisements last year, also aimed at swaying the 2016 presidential election. Your thoughts.
3: First of all, we have to be really clear. This is not simply about what Russia has done. This is about how Russia and the right wing of the United States has collaborated to undermine democracy. So I want to be very clear. When we talk about, you know, Russia buying these ads or, or using these Facebook pages, um, so on and so forth, what we're really talking about is a collusion, a collaboration between a global right wing. That's really important. We need to be really clear about that number one, number two, whether the ads or the Facebook pages uh, you know seem to be pro or anti black lives matter, the fact is that these pages and these ads were uh, anti black <laughs> that 's what 's clear they were using anti black tropes of black militancy to sway and uh, to sway an election and undermine democracy. This is not new. The CIA has done this for decades. This is a tactic that has been used by the United States internationally for decades. We should not be surprised that it is being used now. And and we need to think very carefully about what is going to happen over the next several years to undermine the next presidential election. And we need to get ready.
2: I wanted to ask you about a CNN report, a social media campaign calling itself Blacktivist and linked Mm. to the Russian government, used both Facebook and Twitter in an apparent attempt to amplify racial tensions during the election. Again, they attribute it to two sources with knowledge of the matter talking to CNN. The Twitter account has been handed over to Congress. The Facebook account is expected to be handed over in the coming days, was the report. Your Mm. response to
3: Blacktivist, have you looked into this? You know, I've heard about it. I've actually seen the page in the past. Uh, You know, I spend a a lot of time working on social media issues and looking at— you know possibly fake pages um, that talk about black issues, trying to weed them out from pages that are related to real on the ground organizations and what we 've seen is interestingly, while this has come to light, you know the, the Black divis page has come to light as being associated with the, with this uh, disinformation campaign. It's clear that this is not—this is just the tip of the iceberg. There are dozens of fake pages on Facebook, dozens of fake accounts on Twitter that claim to be related to some black movement, but in fact are not. What we need to be is very careful making sure that the pages we follow, the the, the accounts we follow, are actually connected to real organizations that are doing real work on the ground. And it's hard to do. It means that Facebook and Twitter have to take real responsibility for this kind of disinformation on their site, really do something to protect black activists who are working on their site. And, dis- and, and differentiate between the fake pages and the real pages, because it has real consequences for black activism.
2: Malki Cyril, for young people who may not be familiar with COINTELPRO, you certainly are. Um, can you talk about your own family experience? We have just about a minute.
4: Context of white supremacy time and energy. Emphasize that on the program a lot. Use of time and energy. You have to really be mindful of how time and energy is used. Dr. John Henrik Clark. That is one of the things that he said towards the end of his life. Nobody has an infinite amount of time. He said it knowing what I know now I would have allowed I would not have allowed people to waste my time. War is being waged against black people. We cannot allow our time to be wasted. And I submit that is a major part of how the war of white supremacy is being waged, wasting non-white people's time and energy. Now my BFF Amy Goodman in that segment where you have a limited amount of time they invested about a good three minutes, three to actually about a good four minutes on this conspiracy about Russian meddling to sow racial discord during the 2016 election. This is one time that I'm very happy that I was muted while the sound clip was laughing. I was cackling. The Russians are accused of meddling to sow racial discord and spending a whopping tens of thousands of dollars on the election on these sites to sow racial discord when you had a person running for president who, who was saying build a wall, who called black teens uh, a gang of of wolves uh, the wilding, that was what it was the New York Central Park 5 case uh, that these teens were wilding and he wanted to bring the death penalty back because so got a whole uh, front page ad, this guy <laughs> while he is running for president and his opposition has referred to black people as super predators you're accusing the Russians people on the other side of the planet of trying to sow racial discord and you you had black people being mauled did people remember that during the primaries when you were going to Trump rallies and black people were being punched and they were getting this on but the Russians are attempting I mean it's absolute folly and they wasted four minutes to what is your? I have no idea. I could be ignorant. I have been greatly victimized under the system of white supremacy. I have no idea how that relates to the Federal Bureau of Investigation has a report identifying black identity extremists as a violent threat. What does that have to do with Russians allegedly purchasing these websites? If I just am too ignorant to make that connection, Help me, please. But they invested four minutes on that. And then your family was a victim to the Pro program, a victim of the Pro program. We only got about a minute left. So as much as you want to say on that in one minute, I would have much rather we'll save 30 seconds for our nutty Russian conspiracy. And that way we can devote four and a half minutes to what happened to your family. Let's get as much detail on that as possible about real victims of being identified as a black identity extremist. Another reason why I say Amy Goodman. Another one, good, kindly, well-meaning white person. Nothing could be further from the truth. One of the most dangerous arms in the system of racism, white supremacy. They freak, they have paired her with another one of the greats in white supremacy, Bill Marsh, he'll be on his program. They'll have them together where it'll be two whites who are fighting the good fight, liberals, left wing, trying to bring down Trump and, and the oligarchy. They'll use those same type of terms too, that you heard from Mr. Patash on the program. I will hush. There. Do we have any, any comments on the segment from democracy now? Uh, yes. Can I be heard? Yes, sir.
6: Uh, one, one quick point. Um, when it comes comes to this, um, you know, the past election and the and the Russia hacking everything, I don't know. It's a deeper paradigm within the system, white supremacy, in terms of seeing two groups of white people fighting each other. And we were discussing this last night in our in our forum here that that's a fight that black people of of color need to step away from it and just step back and reorganize ourselves in terms of. Um, Fighting the system, white supremacy, but it's just basically two groups of white people fighting each other, and that's just something that uh, people of non-color should, you know,
4: stay out, stay out of. And that's just my thoughts on it. At minimum, at minimum, following logic, we were talking about this just last night. Absolutely. Anybody else? If anybody sees the connection between the Black Identity Extremists report. And then these allegations of Russian espionage—if uh, you see that connection, you can share. Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir.
11: Uh, yes, I—I um, I definitely see. To me, it's almost like a resurrection of the Cold War. Um, they would connect black groups to Marxism and and Mao Zedong and. Um, and, of course, ultimately communism, and use that as a pretext. So this is just, to me, just a modern, refined version of the same thing. You know, you're connecting them to the Russians, which, again, would just tie into that whole Cold War concept being resurrected and uh, Black people being an insurgent population that's connected to this um, this other country that we have these horrible um, historical relations with as far as the Cold War and all the things that went along with it. So to me, that's where the connection is. It's it's just, um, just, just a modified, um, excuse me, modernized, refined version of that sort of tactic. Um, Also, I think that's one thing that white supremacy has mastered is the art of diversion of our attention to pay attention to things that are not really important while really important events are taking place right in front of us. But yet, our our attention might be diverted because. We're watching Empire or we're, we're paying attention to some nonsense about Russia hacking the elections here or whatever else they put in front of us, the shooting of the 500 people in Nevada. All of these things were things that were allowed to happen to take our attention away, while Donald Trump and other people who are against Donald Trump in the, in the, in the, the white war that Derek was just discussing, um, all of these things are taking place. And our attention is diverted. So by the time we redirect our attention in the right direction, things have already happened that are beyond our control or our ability to understand. And that's again, further confusion. And this system, the linchpin in white supremacy is um, deception um, and confusion. So that's, that's really just watching it play out if your attention goes towards the wrong directive and you're not paying
4: attention to what's really, really important. Thank you. I'll meet my line. Indeed. Any other comments folks want to make sure they get in? Give one more chance. We should be here tomorrow. That would be Monday evening, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Robin Maynard, uh, she should be on the program. Black Female should be joining us live from Canada to discuss her new book, Policing Black Lives, or Explores the History of White Terrorism north of the border in Canada. I should have her on the broadcast tomorrow evening. That was a reschedule from this past week. I always enjoy speaking to Black people in different parts of the world. I think it is very, very important that we understand this is a global problem, global system. This is not something isolated to one specific spot, not something that you can run from, uh, and that I think you begin to look at the problem that way. I think you can get a much more accurate assessment of what it means to be white for anybody, John Patash or anyone on the planet classified as white. Uh, when you see, oh, wow, the people classified as white, regardless of where they happen to be geographically, they are doing a lot of the same terroristic things to black people wherever they happen to be. Hmm. What does that mean about that racial classification? At any rate, tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. uh, Book Club, we are finishing Neil Postman's Crazy Talk, Stupid Talk this Friday, last session. And then our new book will be The Wisdom of Psychopaths. Uh, Kevin Dutton, that was Dr. Rasayan, previously mentioned. He recommended that book. I believe it was 2012. He recommended that book. We were supposed to do it on the book club. And I don't know what happened. It just Kept getting stalled, kept getting stalled. I think it uh, finished second a number of times when uh, listeners voted on what book we were going to do. But we will get that crossed off the list. I'm sure he will be happy. We might even be able to get him to give us a few thoughts to keep in mind as we read. But Kevin, that'll be not this coming Friday, but uh, a Friday, like almost two weeks from now. uh, This Friday, we're finishing Crazy Talk, Stupid Talk, Neil Postman, which I have greatly enjoyed. Uh, with that, if you have uh, questions, gripes, problems, can't find something in the archives, drop an email untiljustice at gmail dot com. Untiljustice at gmail dot com. You can also follow us on Twitter at untiljustice. Feel free, share the program, share the archives. Uh, if you think it is constructive and would help non-white people get a better understanding of white supremacy, racism, what it is, how it works. Uh, any final thoughts folks need to get in before we wrap things up? I will assume folks are good. Uh, thanks, kindly to all the folks who chat. Oops. Uh the person eight five three six, eight five three six. Uh do you have commentary you want to share?
10: Oh yes, hey, I'll uh I'll make this quick. Oh yeah. Uh you you and all the other callers are right. There has always been this uh tying in with uh Russia and uh black people who fight against white supremacy, going back to uh Paul Robeson. And now, mind you, Paul Robeson now the Russians were using him, you know, as uh, as propaganda against uh against white Americans, but if you remember the infamous meeting he had before for I believe it was Congress where he talked about how blacks wouldn't fight against Russia and he was like, oh, how dare he say that? But the truth was our problems weren't with Russians at the time. They were with white Americans, whether North, South, East, or West. And that's generally the case today. And then there was also this idea that the Civil Rights Movement was communist influence. This said by Martin Luther King, Bayard Rustin, on and on and on. The, uh, even during the Obama campaign, if you remember a socialist was a substitution for the n word so this this really is not new, and it's also it's also racist because it it's like okay it's like for some reason, black people can't think on themselves. We have to have some sort of outside white influence, which is extremely offensive. And uh, good evening.
4: Appreciate that, M1. Uh, absolutely. We talked about some of those very incidents uh, on the broadcast before, Paul Robeson uh, included. Uh, I will. Anybody else have a quick comment they needed to get in or folks satisfied? I'll assume we got everybody. Didn't, don't see any other hands that we missed. Grant, uh, we um, will... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say it's interesting because
11: I look at the situation, and everyone did a great job of um, discussing the fact that, you know, this whole association of uh, counter-racist uh, Black people in groups with Russia and how far it dates back as far as Paul Robeson. And we know that it almost got him killed when they drugged him with um, with the psychedelics at that party that was discussed a long time ago. And it just kind of reminds me of how the system of white supremacy works in the sense that when you're associated, even if it's with another white group of white people, and they're against the more powerful white people or the other powerful white group, then you just become the expendable person in the middle and they're just playing you off on the other group as a problem which is kind of what happened with the uh war between the uh rev- the revolutionary war here you had blacks fighting for the british side you had blacks fighting for the for the american side and even with the civil war you had uh blacks that were forced to fight for the confederacy and blacks that were uh, fighting for the north and again whatever side you're placed on in regards to your position against another white group, then you're even more expendable than the members of the white group. So it just kind of brought that, that, uh, that whole thing out. And I thought it was great that m um discussed it that way. Thank you. I'll meet my line.
4: Appreciate that Roz. Uh, if you have further commentary, compensatory call in, will be here next Saturday, 9 PM Eastern, 6 PM Pacific. We'll catch up on, what has transpired over the last week will certainly have more information uh, about the alleged shooter, Devin Kelly, uh, of the situation in San Antonio and all else that goes down between now and then. Uh, thanks again for everybody uh, who chimed in. I hope it was a constructive investment of your Sunday evening. Again, I encourage sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Drugs being used as weapons against us would also be a good reason to advocate sobriety racists there's a long history of them taking advantage of abusing a lot of non-white people especially black people with different poisons narcotics even alcohol cigarettes you name it Uh, i think it would be in our best interest to preserve our brain computer so we can think at a high level produce solutions new concepts Uh, to help eliminate the system of white supremacy and produce justice. I think us being sober would go a long way towards accomplishing that objective efficiently. That said, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people. Victims of white supremacy, we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in.
6: Nigga you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. A
11: victim. Uh, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. A man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>